0: Hi, I'm Rob Shank, host of this, uh, the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute podcast. We call it Shank Talks Bonhoeffer, all about the life, times, and interests of this young, brave, brilliant church leader in World War II Germany, spoke out prophetically against uh, the terrors of Adolf Hitler's racialized dictatorship would pay for that with his life, but not before leaving us a wonderful literary legacy on Christian ethics, moral philosophy, theology, and, of course, uh, the role of the church in combating uh, the corrosive elements in any society, culture, Uh, or in the world. Well, we look for a nexus between uh, Bonhoeffer's interests and the guests uh, with whom I converse in these podcasts, and today is no exception to that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer treated the subject of suicide morally, ethically, and theologically in his writings. But he also alludes to his own struggle with suicidal ideations while alone, isolated, uh, in Tegel prison. And you'll find that in letters and papers from prison. So this was both uh, a theoretical question for Bonhoeffer, but also a very deep and personal experience for Bonhoeffer as it is for millions of people today. So uh, I'm really I'm really delighted to have with me in conversation uh, Glenn Bloomstrom, who is Director of Faith, Community Engagement for Living Works, Suicide Prevention Training, a program, and he'll tell us all about that during our conversation. But Glenn, Uh, works with faith communities, the U.S. Department of Defense, veterans organizations, and uh, international militaries on this subject. He also serves as an adjunct professor at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Prior to joining Living Works, Glenn served for 30 years as an active duty army chaplain at battalion, brigade, division, and army staff levels before retiring as a Colonel in 2011. His civilian education includes a BA from Bethel University, a Master of Divinity from Bethel Theological Seminary, Master of Science from Kansas State University, Master of Social Service from the Army War College, and a Leadership Coaching Certificate from Georgetown University. He is also a Clinical Fellow with the American Association for Marriage and Family therapy. Glenn, it's great to have you here in conversation. First, thank you for your service, both to our nation and to the Lord uh, in in uh, those two uh, capacities. And good to talk with you today. Let, let's start right away on the subject at hand, which could sound like a downer, but in fact, living works is really life-giving in so many ways. Can you tell us about Living Works?
1: Well, Rob, thank you so much for having me on today's uh, podcast and for really stepping into this place uh, of of a conversation around suicide. Yes, so Living Works. Living Works is an international suicide intervention training company with Uh, around 6,000 trainers worldwide uh, in English-speaking countries. Um, We train uh, around 150 to 180,000 people every year worldwide uh, in suicide intervention skills. So we are are kind of a a leader in the field of suicide intervention. In fact, our programs are really uh, a, a primary standard. For most crisis line workers.
0: Well, you know, I couldn't help but wonder, first, you know, I'd like our, our folks, our podcast family members here to hear about your own journey towards this work. Uh, what led you to take it on? And I, I have to ask you, if your experience with veterans with military personnel had anything to do with that because, of course, they have suffered disproportionately uh, from uh, suicide. Uh, What about your own pilgrimage? How did you get here doing this rare work? Absolutely. Yes. Well, you know, I I
1: went into the chaplaincy um, in the early 80s, 1982, and uh, almost immediately uh, encountered uh, soldiers, family members, struggling with thoughts of suicide. And, you know, we did not have any real standardized training at that time. Um, and uh, a lot of it was, was mostly information, uh, handouts, uh, conversations on what to do, and just pastoral goodwill, chaplain goodwill. And over the years, uh, PowerPoint presentations and such. But it was when I, I lost soldiers to suicide that uh, I realized this is not something trivial. It, it is really life and death, uh, both the whole issue of seeking help and being trained to provide uh, counsel, wise help in a moment of crisis. I guess uh, probably one of the pivotal experiences for me was um, working at the chief of chaplains office, being in charge of training for at that time, about 2,400 chaplains and chaplains assistants uh, in in the active duty and army reserve and national guard um, settings. And uh, having a responsibility for really much more robust and um, skill-based training. And at that point, I was introduced to living works, And we changed from information-based training to skill-based training. After I left the Pentagon, I had a wonderful colleague who worked for me at the Pentagon. He was like a brother to me. In fact, I requested to have the follow-on assignment with him. And little did I know that that my chaplain colleague struggled with bipolar disorder. He was brilliant and he was effective. In fact, when we went to our next assignment, he was beloved by the chaplain communi- uh, chapel community. He was a a wonderful Sunday school teacher, winsome, funny as could be, uh, was uh, studying to do a, a, at a university to do, uh, in a PhD program in communications and preparing to be a peer leader in a um, general staff setting. And um, he knew most of this training and told me, confided one day, that he had really struggled with thoughts of suicide. You know, I'd known him at this point probably four years, four and a half years. We'd worked side by side at the Pentagon, accomplished many great things. But then I was away on um, Veterans Day and my, my administrative assistant said, that this chaplain had by, been by to see me, but I was gone that weekend and he disappeared. And of course, you know, the rest of the story, he, he died by suicide. And oh, that all came together. It was, it was very, yeah. very powerful. And then since then I've, I've wanted to equip many more. And it's, it's not a matter of not knowing the skills in his case, but just the debilitating pressure of living with a bipolar disorder. And he reached and went very low after getting help. And uh, we need to be more prepared. And so that became a calling for this chapter of my life.
0: Wow. Uh, you know, I had gotten a little briefing about you and your good work, but I did not hear that part of your story. And that's quite a personal uh factor you know I, I can see that like as i was saying about our namesake uh bonhoeffer uh yes. this isn't always just a, a, a theoretical problem it becomes a very personal problem uh, i've i've been close to colleagues in fact one uh, former chaplain to the united states house of representatives who died by suicide Oh my. Uh, So no one is immune to this, are they? Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) This is really a very broad human experience. Can you tell us just, you know, I can imagine, even though we have a lot of listeners who are clergy themselves, or faith community leaders of one sort or another, um, others are very active uh, lay people, um, and yet a lot of us would say, you know, when it comes to the subject of suicide, I really don't know much about it. I don't know how to approach it. I may have even known someone as we have, as you, Glenn, yes. and I have. And yet right. I don't really know that much. I don't even know how to approach the subject. Can you give us a a kind of general orientation how we as people of faith, but particularly faith leaders should approach the subject of suicide?
1: Well, it's a mysterious subject. It's it's a mystery that anyone would deliberately end their life. And it's filled with stigma. Um, This goes back theologically to when there were so many martyrs in, in the early church. And Augustine made the connection between suicide and self-murder. Um, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. And from that in, in our, church, uh, our church history, our, our church fathers, um, uh, theology influenced the law and it became illegal. And it was continued to be shrouded with shame, stigma, mystery, and even without, now that suicide is not criminal, and now that the, all churches have said, this is connected to a desperate human condition, not an unforgivable sin, we still struggle with the fact that someone would hide this or would act on thoughts of suicide because of psych ache. Um, You know, the the coming together of many factors in in one's life, both uh, across the life cycle or situationally or health-wise or relationally. How could someone do that? And especially someone who is connected to their faith community, who values their faith, who loves God. So I think that's why we'd rather not talk about it, because answers are very, very difficult to come by, and we must wrestle with our theology of suffering, and we must come to a conclusion that suicide, you said it is part of the human condition it's part of being human and um so i think that's why we need training and we need to use the word suicide in our sermons in our prayers for people because mentioning the word gives permission for people to say pastor you mentioned that word and i want you to know i've been struggling with thoughts of suicide to not mention it is to kind of say if we don't talk about it it doesn't exist you know what i mean yeah, so a, every a form of denial so, so, yeah exactly so many of them in the pew have had experience they say over a lifetime you know 40 to 60 percent of people know someone personally who's died by suicide
0: wow. so
1: it's not You know, it's not that we haven't been exposed to suicide, but we continue to support, especially in faith communities, stigma by not mentioning it and not praying for it and not being prepared to respond to those who are struggling with it.
0: Yeah, I think about my own experience with people who have struggled uh, with suicidal thoughts. And there's a lot of shame that goes with it as if one has committed a sin or doesn't value human life including one's own you know that somehow you're you're displeasing god or disappointing others you know it's just it's really charged but when you say 40 to 60 percent of people in over their lifetime will will come to know someone who dies by suicide, that would mean that any pastor looking out over a congregation, whether in the pews or these days on Zoom, they're looking at some folks who are struggling with thoughts of suicide. Exactly. Um, So
1: not only personally or individually they might be, but they could be struggling with the loss Mm -hmm. of a loved one, a friend, a colleague, Mm -hmm. and struggling with those thoughts. So, you know, you mentioned shame, the the deep internal shame and and even a moral blemish. How did I miss this? Uh, Suicide grief is so, so different than regular grief because there are waves of uncertainty, self-doubt, shame, loss like any other grief, but then mixed with anger and even rage. How could you do this and leave me alone to raise these children or to be not be able to provide and raise these children? And then I think people in the congregation might feel, well, I I love the Lord and and so did my loved one who died by suicide and I'm so ashamed. I come late to church and I leave early because I don't wanna talk to anybody because it's obvious they're uncomfortable or they say, I know they say well-meaning things but they don't get it. And then pretty soon those people also may stop coming and that's the worst thing that, that they can do to leave a place of support and, and, and love. And so I think pastors need to talk about prevention, as I mentioned a moment ago, praying for those, uh, hearing the stories of those who have uh, struggled with suicide, but yet moved through, supporting training, giving voice to survivors, and then being prepared for memorials funerals, and long-term care for those that have experienced suicide behaviors. Now, we're we're not only talking about suicide deaths, but there's a lot more suicide attempts, and that same stigma is connected to those that may get to the point where they attempt suicide, but do not die by suicide. All those will be wrapped in some kind of stigma response. All those May be vulnerable to either acting again or to leaving the community where they can find the greatest meaning and purpose and support through their grief and into using that suffering for good.
0: Before I ask you about the technical dimensions to Living Works suicide prevention training, which we want to get to here shortly i do want to ask you more you are uh, both a pastor uh, by training and practice in the chaplaincy you're a theologian uh, by education you're also a therapist uh, which is a (laughs) wonderful match my uh, i'm married (laughs) to a psychotherapist who trained at uh the seattle school of theology and psychology so it's a mix of both uh seminary and uh you know science uh psychological sciences and and frankly when you look at the greek word suke of course that pairs the two so i want to ask you as first as a theologian how do we settle the question of the sinfulness of suicide? I know a lot of people, I know a lot of pastors, colleagues who struggle with this question. Certainly uh, the survivors of suicide victims uh, will often wonder, did my loved one, you know, commit, Uh, An egregious sin in taking his or her own life. How how do you, uh, Reverend Bloomstrom? How how do you treat this question of suicide and sin? And sorry to catch you off guard. I should have sent that to you in a a prep note, but I didn't. Oh no! Pardon me. Oh no! No no. I, I
1: I am a theologian, and I'm more of a practitioner than I am an academic. So my answers would always be more oriented toward the layperson to try to make this very simple. And I would I would say that suicide theologically, biblically is mentioned in the scriptures but we never see a condemnation. It's mentioned as the way people died, okay? So, Augustine equating it with self-murder, I think is a jump, but I also would connect it with the sovereignty of God. As the giver and taker of life, that it is not in the purview of mankind to take their own life. I, I believe very strongly in that. But yet, throughout the pages of Scripture, you see desperation, especially in the Psalms of Lament. How long, O oh God, in and, and Job? Curse God and die. And then God coming back after all the wisdom of Job's friends and say, you do not understand. And so theologically, I would say that God is the God who knows all, who plans our days. He's the sovereign God, but yet he's the suffering God. And so he cried out in the garden, could not this cup pass from me and was so extremely overwhelmed that he sweat blood because of the intense human, spiritual, God-man crisis. So our Lord and Savior, our Father understands the intensity of being human, and I believe, has mercy. So, theologically, where it became a mortal sin for our our fathers was that we could not confess prior to death. But as Protestants, we do not hold to that. But we hold to a firm belief in the sovereignty of God And so we step into that place when we take our lives, but yet the God who is mysterious and beyond our knowing completely, and the God who suffers to me is one who is filled with mercy at the plight of our humanity and the impact of sin, even upon our own reasoning and thinking. So, I try that, that would probably be a practitioner's answer and not one that is a, as a theologian. So, that's kind of where I come from. I hold a moral view against suicide. I believe it, life and death is God's purview, but I also believe in a sovereign God
0: and a suffering God. Very. Bunhoffrian take. <laughs> if I can pay you the highest compliment uh, in that our mundane universe, compliment, Rob, Rob, thank you. Of Rob. course, you know he he dealt with this sometimes uh, tension between uh, what is real reality and. Uh, and 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 the faith dimension that that sometimes we just have to look at uh, human reality, where we actually live and what we experience, and that God is with us in that moment. And I think you yes. say that uh, very well, uh, even when it's mysterious and beyond our our comprehension. what What isn't beyond our comprehension, obviously? is the capacity to intervene to do something yes that's right and 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 you you do that very well from what i read about living works you have a very practical you're saying you're a practitioner uh in keeping with that uh there's a method here uh and a way can you tell us how does Living Works lay out intervention and 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 who who can do it? Who can who can right. effectively do it? Well, Living Works
1: has always been had a focus on suicide intervention. So let me just begin by saying suicide prevention is has three parts. One is actual prevention. Upstream, things you can do to encourage people to seek help if they're struggling with thoughts of suicide. Secondly is suicide intervention. That's the component of suicide prevention for training people to be alert and know what to do if they think someone is thinking of suicide. And third is an area called postvention. These are the actions that are done after suicide behaviors, an attempt or death. These are the things we can do in a funeral or memorial that become prevention for those that remain. So with that as a a starting point, Living Works has always focused and they're known throughout the world and throughout really the field of suicidology as being real experts in helping people to be prepared to talk to people about suicide. So, our our signature program, in fact, for years, we've been known as ASSIST. And ASSIST stands for Applied Suicide Intervention Skills Training. Well, ASSIST is a Living Works program. So, oh, I, I don't know Living Works. Oh yeah, but I've been to ASSIST. And the reason people know ASSIST is it's the standard for crisis line workers around the world. It has the highest evidence and training to prepare. Most crisis line workers are volunteers. Many of them are graduate students who want to get experience. And so you take somebody without a lot of experience and you train them to step into the place of doing an intervention. ASSIST is two full days, it takes some time, it's face-to-face. But we have other programs that are focused on the role of the person. So we have a 90-minute program called Living Work Start, and we have a four-hour program that's Living Work Safe Talk. And it's analogous to Living Work Start is like CPR, you know, uh, breathing, chest compressions for suicide. Our our four-hour program is like first aid, you know, stop the bleeding, clear the airway, treat for shock. And then assist is kind of like being having EMT level training. And we train anybody and everybody. So those are intervention programs. But last year and over the last few years, uh, our our the owner of the company, our CEO is, is a, a man of faith. Many people who work in our company are people of faith. And we see the need for faith leaders, ministry leaders, people volunteering uh, that need training. And so of course we want them to be trained in intervention, but we have a new program called Living Works Faith, which covers also prevention and postvention, as well as intervention.
0: Wow, and as we close in just uh, a few minutes from now, I'll ask you how we can access those programs how, how do we actually uh benefit from them you know what's the access point and and i'll ask you that Wonderful. to close with that in the meantime uh yes i, I want to ask you about maybe other uh uh other ways that particularly clergy can equip themselves, for example, in preaching. Do you have advice for your colleagues in how specifically to approach this subject in their preaching, teaching, maybe in their pastoral counseling? How would you advise fellow clergy? Well,
1: I would begin by asking them to prepare and uh, beforehand uh, you know many many clergy over their experience may only experience and do a suicide funeral or memorial a few times but doing that at the last minute or re in a reactionary way is is dangerous um or saying well i'm going to talk about uh the person in a way that uh, will help others to seek help, that's good. I mean, that's just common sense. But I would say, and, and let me kind of stop there and I'm gonna start over again. Uh, I would say that um, first and foremost, be prepared. Uh, read some excellent books on uh, preaching. Uh, th- there are a couple that, um, that I can recommend, uh, written by Karen Mason, out of um, uh, Gordon-Conwell Seminary um, uh, preaching light in the darkness. And uh, there's another called The Suicide Memorial and Funeral by uh, Melinda Moore and Dan Roberts. Excellent books, don't put off reading and preparing. And really, um, take a look for a survivor in your congregation. Hear their story. What's it like? Learn from people and give them a voice. Connect with local resources. Um, Get training to know how to intervene. All those will prepare you for that time when you may have to do a suicide funeral, a suicide memorial. Then I would also say, review your view on suicide and think about how you might communicate that in a way that is comforting, and not reinforcing of stigma. In a way that will help people to seek help, who may be in that funeral, or memorial. All of those resources will help you, to be prepared for that inevitable day.
0: You know, I often think, and I'll make my confession: you're, you're a, you're a. Uh, fellow uh minister of the gospel we both wear a stole i'll put this one under the stole and just say for way too many years i treated the subject of suicide in the pulpit as only self-murder and that was usually in the context of the pro-life discussion uh, defining it strictly as an act of murder against oneself but as the years went on and i did what i followed the advice you just gave i listened to victims i thought about the history of suicide in my own family my mother's first husband uh committed suicide and and I, i even wonder about that terminology now that was an old way of framing it but committing suicide because at the time as, Very good. You, as you indicated it was illegal and i realize yes. i still use that old language in the context of a criminal act uh, <laughs> exactly. And, and, exactly and that comes down you know through family culture social uh you know mores etc cetera, etc cetera. And, and yet you're challenging us even as pastors ministers uh as shepherds of souls to look at that differently uh as i have a number of things as i've entered my 60s now i'm I'm convinced over and over again there are things you can know in one decade of life you couldn't know in a previous decade of life but you do help us in 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 all of these ways if if i were a colleague and i'll stand in their place now and just say glenn what are you suggesting i i I just get up in the pulpit one morning and say this morning we're going to talk about suicide or do you place that in a, a different context
1: before you would ever preach on suicide all those little steps practical steps. Hearing the voice of survivors, talking to colleagues about their experience with funerals, do's and don'ts, doing some research and being prepared. And that's what our Living Works Faith program is trying to do. We're not telling people theologically how to believe, but we're trying to help them to anticipate getting that call, going into that room with a variety of people and then having to prepare a, few, a, funeral, sui- a funeral that involves suicide, and, and these are your people in the room who knew the one that died, or a room full of youth who love this individual and who are now frightened about suicide. That is a very dangerous place and there are some time bombs or some some minds that if 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 the faith leader is not prepared could add to the risk of the young people in the room so so i believe that most ministry leaders pastors would call friends and say hey i've never done this before i would hope they would but we know there are many independent Uh, Ministry leaders who would never do that, Um, but they would find their wisdom, do's and don'ts, you know, um, to be prepared. And uh, uh, that's very, very important because most of the time, I believe, uh, ministry leaders are reactive um, when it comes to, to suicide because they feel it's so rare, but it's not. And it's not even that rare in churches. You know, uh, there was a study that came out, even among faith leaders, that over the last COVID time, that a, a survey of pastors, one in 10, had actually thought about suicide themselves. Right. So, so th- those, are, those are aspects that we need to keep in mind. Um, it's our people in the congregation. It's our neighbors and friends in the community it's ourselves so we must be prepared
0: well you're a perfect match for the Bonhoeffer world because of course he did two things he admonished us to always as the church to act early and not wait until it's too late so that gets to your point on preparation um but the other was in fact to always to act responsibly it's not enough to just think of these things theoretically but to be prepared to act and then to act responsibly so let's let's help our colleagues our friends uh, our our listening family to do just that how can they access the training that's offered through living works and the other resources
1: Well, our website is LivingWorks, www.livingworks.net. And when you go onto that website, you'll see our trainings. And you'll be able to click and look uh, at LivingWorks Start and and some of our programs that I've already mentioned. But also you'll be able to click on the link that says LivingWorks Faith. And there, there's a short video that'll tell you about the program and and you can click and immediately start. going through it's online self-paced it's it's interactive we have the 90-minute start program integrated into it i think our ministry leaders our our faith leaders will find it very practical Um, and there it it takes about five to six hours there's a companion guide where you can keep notes and um, it's a very again my focus is practicality it's very useful lots of resources there including the two books that i mentioned uh, before and lots of free articles and links to other
0: resources wow glenn bloomstrom what it's, you know again i'm a guy cast in an old mold uh it's an uncomfortable topic shouldn't be and we should become much more comfortable with it. You're certainly helping me to become more comfortable. Just as a result of this conversation I've had with you, I'm more conscious of the need to speak the word, uh, to introduce the subject, and of course, to be perceptive to people who are struggling, who are in need, uh, who have suffered the anguish. Uh, themselves and have yet to recover Uh, you're making me conscious of all these things and uh, and i'm grateful to the lord and to you for it so thank you glenn for all of your service uh, to the lord to humanity uh, to our country and thanks for your work here uh, with living works Uh, let's rehearse the the website address one more time. And uh, and, and, uh, and I'm going to encourage folks, you know, don't just think about this. <laughs> let's all be Bonhoeffrian in this moment and act on it. Uh, let's at least go to the website. I've been there Absolutely. once myself. Take a look, mm-hmm. see what's there, what's apropos to your situation. And let's prepare ourselves because this this is about the preservation of human life. This is about honoring God's yes. gift of life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is consummately pro-life work. So, Glenn, yes, tell us is. one more time: How do we get to living works? And uh, and is there an opportunity to uh, engage, uh, even <laughs> with you, perhaps? Yes,
1: Rob, thank you. Uh, The the website is www.livingworks.net and there you'll find a link that says our trainings. You'll see all of our face-to-face and online trainings and there you will see Living Works Faith. And there's a video there that kind of explains the program a little and a person can just purchase that. Now, let me just say Living Works Faith is very engaging we interviewed about 15 clergy, a wide variety of clergy. They tell their story when they were prepared and they weren't prepared. We also hear the voice of a survivor, Cindy, who tells her story and it unfolds of being a real committed person of faith, but her husband, a deputy sheriff, how he took his life and what it was like for her to go through that. We have a veteran, we have a Catholic priest. It's it's very engaging and and I think um, listeners will find it very practical with links to resources, books, articles. So we really would love people just to look at it and this will help them to prepare before that inevitable experience comes. I should say. Also, one of the modules, we have some avatars where they go into a room and they have to interact with a variety of people. All that helps our your listeners and people of faith, ministry leaders, to be prepared to respond. So thank you. Oh, thank you you're very welcome,
0: much. Glenn, and thank you. Uh thanks to Living Works for producing this kind of material uh, for our benefit, so we can carry out our work and uh, our callings more effectively more faithfully Uh, so folks uh, i hope you'll join me in going over to livingworks.net let's take a look at all this material decide which ones we can benefit from and get going with this work the responsible man uh, as as bonhoeffer Mm -hmm. limited it but of course today Uh, We understand that to be responsible men and women are people of action. So let's take action on this. Let's not let another person suffer in isolation. Uh, Let's not let another person uh, experience the anguish of wondering about their loved one. Let's come to their aid now uh, before uh, it's too late. Glenn Blomstrom, thanks for the good conversation. Thanks for introducing us to Living Works. And I hope it won't be the last time we have the opportunity to visit with each other.
1: Thank you again for tackling this very difficult subject.